0: And amen. You may be seated. It's the Word of God that will change your life. Not a preacher. It's the Word of God. Amen? Now, we're thankful for preachers. <laughs> I am one, so <laughs> we're thankful for them, but it's the Word of God that will change your life. It's what changed my life. It'll change your life. The Word is living, active, sharper than every two-edged sword to the dividing of sunder, of soul and spirit joint and marrow. And we're so thankful for the power that's in God's word. So in his word, Mark 8:22 through 26, the title of this message is Restoring Bethsaida's Blind. It says, He, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now, I I didn't think of this when I was up here, but I'm just going to believe that when we get to the end of this message, if you're having a problem with your eyesight, it's not clear, it's not where it needs to be, I'm just going to pray for you at the end I'm going to believe God with. I'm going to raise my hands too because I like to be able to get rid of these things as well. And, uh, and um, you know, uh, let God just clear up our. The Bible says about Moses when he was uh, old, he was 120, 100 and something years old, 120 years old, that he was um, full of vigor and his eyes were not dim, right? That's awesome. Why can't we believe God in the new covenant? which is supposed to be based on better promises than the Old Covenant for what God did in people's lives in the Old Covenant. We should have at least what they have if it's a better covenant. Amen? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Well, anyway, let's get back to the text. So y'all remind me. I want to pray for that at the end. So in in this text is a way of introduction. The name Bethsaida is the town that this guy came out of. And I want to just kind of look at that word a little bit because I was kind of doing a little bit of digging in there. And Bethsaida is derived from two Hebrew words. The first is the word Beth, and that word actually means house, all right? Uh, uh, so anytime you see the word Beth, it's usually a compound word. Uh, it'll be like Bethel is the house of God. Bethsaida is the house of, and that brings us to our second word, which is the word sud, and that verb means to hunt, or to fish. So Bethsaida can be interpreted as being the house of hunting. Now, while that seems a little bit innocuous at first, uh, we can go back in the book of Genesis because I believe in the laws of, of the first mentioned in the first book. You get a lot of understanding of, of things. Uh, and, and in that book, you have two prominent people who were called hunters. And so uh, if we can derive, uh, look at their lives a little bit, and I want to see if we can derive a little bit more of some truths about that name. Bethsaida, one of those hunters was a guy named Nimrod, Genesis 10, 8 through 9. It says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Nimrod actually means rebel. The proverb, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, suggests sinful Rebellion. That's what he and his followers actually did. Actually, when they got together and they started building the Tower of Babel, contrary to what God had directed them to do to spread over the earth, they said, "No, we're not going to do that. We're going to build a tower to heaven itself." So uh, that that's what that name means. That was the one prominent hunter in the Book of Genesis. And then you have a second guy by the name of Esau. Genesis 25:27 says, "So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter." a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in a tent. They were two brothers. They were actually twins. The name Esau means doer, maker, or worker. The Bible says about Esau in the book of Hebrews, uh, 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 chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So profane, which is what Esau is called, a profane person like Esau means godless, unholy, or worldly. So we see that Esau, another hunter, was described as being worldly or unspiritual if you will. So really, this is what we see in both these hunters. What we see in both of them is they are concerned not with the things of God, but in exalting the things of man and that which man can do. This is important because, remember, we're really going back to that name Bethsaida, and that blind man whom we're going to be looking at came out of a town called Bethsaida. So Bethsaida is important because it's the place where the blind man came from, and it's the place that Jesus led him out of in the process of restoring his sight. Okay, Because, see, Jesus restored his sight on a physical uh, uh, level, but there's a, something spiritual behind this that I want to glean from as well, okay? So in uh, Jesus actually says in Matthew, Matthew 11, 20 through 22, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, hey, Bethsaida. So that's the city this guy came from. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So, what was Jesus' declaration? They were open to the works of God, but they didn't repent. They didn't change their way of thinking, they didn't change their way of behaving. They continued to live a worldly lifestyle in the midst of the presence of God's moving among them. Sounds like the church. Ouch. Right? What could be the church? You have a lot of people today come to church, but you look at their lives, you look at the statistics, and there's no difference between their lives and the lives of the world. And a lot of the church today, as we say over and over again, is trying to figure out how they can go to heaven but not change their lifestyle. What's the least I can do and still be a Christian? So what are we talking about? We're talking about people that have a worldly lifestyle in the midst of the presence of God moving among them remember jesus is god himself manifested in the flesh and he's moving in their midst he's doing incredible works in their midst however in the midst of that they weren't repenting they weren't changing their way of thinking we'll take everything you have god just don't require anything of us so they were open to the god's work but they weren't changing this spiritual influence had to be removed from the blind man's life if the man were truly to have his eyesight restored and to stay healed. There's a scripture in Romans 12 and 2. It's not up there. It says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. So, how did Jesus uh, uh, bring this man into a place of not only having his natural sight restored, but also what was he doing so that it was more than just a physical thing? But actually, he became restored uh, 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 completely uh, in his life. And really, God doesn't just want us as a people to have an experience. He doesn't just want us as a people to have something good happen into our lives, but then go back to the way we were. He actually wants us to be whole, spirit, soul, body. But in order to experience all that God has for us, we've got to be willing to leave what we came out of and embrace what he has for us. You can't live in two worlds. You can't serve God and mammon. You're either going to love one and hate the other or you're going to hate one and love the other. But you can't do both. You can't serve the world and serve God. It's one of the things that we try to tell people. One of the things that we try to do whenever we lead them to the Lord is I'm getting to a place where I'm, I'm actually having them say, I renounce my lifestyle. I renounce the world. I renounce my allegiance to the devil. Because if you're living life in the world, who is the prince of the power of the air? The devil, I renounce that and I embrace Christ because there will be no other gods before me, right? And that's important to know before you get saved, right? It's important to know, and if you got saved already and you didn't know that, it's important to know that now, right? It's not a, I can do both. No. God wants you in the world, but he doesn't want you to be worldly, right? Right? You've got go to you gotta get be in the world. You've got to go to work. You've got to reach people. He wants us to reach people, right? But you have to show them something different. You have, when the people saw Jesus, they saw something different about him. He wasn't like everybody else. They wanted to be around him. What was it? The presence of God, the glory of God rested, manifested upon him. He didn't lie like they did. He didn't cheat like they do. He didn't kill. He didn't abuse. He didn't do it. He was different. He actually restored. He healed, delivered, set people free. I want something you got. And that's what God wants from us. As Christ was sent into the world, so are we sent into the world, not to be like the world, but in we're supposed to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Right? We've got to be different. So let's look at this process. First point we want to look at is Jesus took the man's hand. Bible says in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. So Jesus took responsibility for the sole guidance of this man. The others brought him to Jesus, but Jesus required that the man take his hand and let go of the others. See, he was blind. Couldn't function by himself. He had to have something to hold on to. So the people that were bringing him to Jesus, he was holding on to them. But whenever they brought him to Jesus, they had to let go of them and hold on to Jesus. When we come to Christ, we must be willing to place ourselves into his hands that he might lead us into the fullness of life that we are seeking. In our blindness, we must reach out in faith and take hold of the Savior's hands whom we can trust to lead us into life. Romans 10:11 through 13, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We don't just call on him, Uh, 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 when we first get saved it is in fact the position that we take as we continually submit to his leadership learning to live the life that he purchased for us by his blood you know that God loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you know God wants more for you than just to get to heaven when you die that's important let's not minimize that at all there is an eternity and I want to live with the idea and the older I get the closer eternity becomes uh, to me right it's like when I was 18 short life long way to go right short long I'm almost 60 years old I'm 59 years old let's not get confused I'm not 60 yet all right but now a lot of life behind me this much maybe this much life in front of me when I'm 70 like this. 80, maybe like this, you know? We don't know. And what's beyond that? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So uh, the older we get, the more we realize, hey, I want to make sure that when I die, I don't go to that place called hell where there's uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth and where the fire never destroys and, you know, we're in constant. And God never created that for us, by the way. He created it for the devil and his minions who rebelled against him. So why do people go there? Because when we choose to ally, ally ourselves with the devil, we get his faith. But God didn't want that for us. That's why he sent Jesus. When we refuse Jesus, what we're saying is, I want to continue with my allegiance with the devil. Well, you're going to get what the devil's going to get because that's what he's leading you to. But God doesn't want you to lead you to that. God wants you to lead you to life eternal life, but that's not all he wants for you. He wants you to have life more abundantly, right? Well, I'll have that when I go to heaven. Well, you will have that when you go to heaven, but he wants you to have that abundant life here, right? Now, don't get confused. You know, I'm not saying that every one of us is going to be millionaires and have Rolls Royce. I'm not promising you that. What I'm promising you is the, is the kingdom of heaven is uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, Right? See, people think that if I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. What they find is the money doesn't make them happy, or if it does, it's very temporary. So, but here's the thing they're really not looking for money, what they're looking is for happiness. They're really not looking for happiness, what they're looking for is joy. And Jesus promised that for free. Now, when I say for free, I'm saying you don't have to pay for it, he paid for it. Right? He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He paid for it at the cross of Calvary. But we get to experience it when we embrace him and take him by the hand. Right? But in order to take him by the hand, we got to let go. So my point in all this was saying, yes, I want to go to heaven, but Jesus wants you to have a full life, more than just a full life, an overflowing life now. Listen, I've told you this before. I will tell you again because it's my testimony. And I'm always going to give you my testimony. When I got saved, yes, I didn't want to go to hell. Yes, I wanted to go to heaven. But that wasn't the primary reason that I got saved. I got saved not to have a good reason to die. I got saved because I wanted to have a good reason to live. Now, I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't any of that. I was just a wandering Aramean. I was lost. I didn't have... Anything, it was just like, I don't see the purpose in that. I don't see the real, I mean, it just doesn't make it. I know don't, don't, yeah, you need to make more money. Why? I, I, I mean, I was just kind of like that. And when I when I when I when they presented to me the Lord and I got saved, I was looking for purpose and meaning to life because even Solomon, who had everything, he had riches, wisdom, he had everything, he said, without God, life is meaningless. God makes life meaningless. And so when I found God, I found not just a good reason to die. I do have that. I'm going to have a good death. I am. Because in Christ, again, uh, it's a a transition. But I'm not just going to have a good death. I have and will continue to have a good life. Now, that doesn't mean it's an easy life. In some ways, being a Christian is harder than not being a Christian because now you have an enemy that's uh, uh, you know uh, marshalling himself against you to try to keep you from walking out because he don't want anybody to get saved. He don't want anybody to to bring pleasure to God. He doesn't want that. The devil cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good news is uh, uh, that God is bigger than the devil. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No tongue that is raised shall stand. Now, that being said, it doesn't ever promise you. Jesus never promised you you were going to have an easy, carefree life. He said, when the storms come, we all go through storms. But here's how I look at it. If I didn't know God and I was going to go through a storm, I am thinking to myself now, the storms that I go through, I could be going through the same storm without God. And I feel like sometimes with God, I barely make it. I don't barely make it. I'm just telling you how I feel, right? The Lord always brings me through as long as I don't quit, as long as I don't turn my eyes away from Him. He brings me through. I think to myself, what would it be like, because the Bible says when the storms come, to go through these storms without God? I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want, I don't know how people, God's merciful and graceful. I don't know how that happens. All I know is I'm grateful that I have someone that I can look to, whose hand I can hold, who will guide me through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. All right. I need to get back. (laughs) Went rabbit hunting there. Got to get back. Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But what things were gained to me, Paul says, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Remember, you've got to let go of those people's hands. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, you've got to go, grab a hold of his hand, I pressed forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, first point. Second point. Jesus took the man by the hand, and what did he do? Let him out of town, right? So he took the, man, the blind man by the hand and let him out of the town. True healing, clear vision comes not only in taking hold of Christ, but in knowing what he requires us to let go of as well. We must let go of all that would keep us from him and all that would draw us away from him. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, all he's saying is that He has to be the preeminence. He's the creator. He is God. He's not telling you to hate your mother or father. He's not telling you that. He's saying that he needs to be, uh, uh, the scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, I love my mother, mother and my father, and they love me. But when I got saved, they didn't really want me going to church. But when you get saved, people around you that you think want what's best for you, they'll tell you why you shouldn't go to church. They'll tell you why you shouldn't be a fanatic. They'll tell you why they don't need a crutch like you do. These are people that you love. They love you. But Jesus said, who are you going to obey? you going to obey them or are you going to follow me? Right? When you say yes to Christ, you ultimately are also saying no to other things. You can't fill your life with everything. We know that even before we come to the Lord. You can't do everything. And if you are trying to do everything, that's why we have to take medicine. (laughs) Right? Because we can't do everything. One of the things you're going to do, you're going to do some things. In other words, you can't. let, Let me just do a very innocuous illustration. You can't watch Netflix and Hulu at the same time. You can have them both, but you can't. Now, you say, well, I can't. I get two TVs. Uh, well, I don't know how you do it. I get two TVs, and I run them both at the same time. Well, you can't pay attention to both of them at the same time. It's kind of fruitless to do that. What I'm saying is you can have one, or you, can't have, you can have the other. You can only pay attention to one at one time. And so basically what, 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 what I'm saying is that you can't do everything, so you have to let go of some things in order to be good at other things. Okay? I learned that when I was, an, when I was playing tennis you know if I wanted to be good at tennis I had to say no to some things I couldn't I couldn't be a partier and an athlete at the same time if I wanted to be good Uh, when I when I uh, I couldn't stay up late at night if I wanted to get up early in the morning and go play so I left a lot of that stuff it was never really an allure for me but I left all a lot of that stuff behind because what I was focusing on is what I wanted to do in life there when you go to college They they have all these courses that you can take, and a lot of them are just appealing. Oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. But if you take everything that appeals to you, you'll be there uh, until you're 59, have hundreds and hundreds of hours, and not get anywhere. You have to, that's why they tell you when you get there, what do you want to be? In other words, you've got to tell yourself, where do I want to end up? Because once you figure out where you want to end up, then a lot of these things you can't do. They're good. We're not saying they're not good, but you can't do that. You can't do that. If you want to graduate, if you want to accomplish your goal, you can't do these things. You've got to focus on what you can do, and you can't lament in life, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do You just can't live that. You've got to have a goal and a purpose in mind, and the goal and the purpose will determine what you're going to do in life, and it will also determine what you won't do in life. Am I making sense to you? So when you say yes to Christ, you're saying no to other things. You are saying no to the world and to the influences of the world. 1 John two fifteen through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now listen, we're not talking about putting your hair in a bun and wearing long skirts and they'll make it. We're not talking about, uh, uh, guys don't like to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not talking about that. But I was reading a book on ethics. I'm studying a, a book on ethics, and, and uh, it's just good to, to, to keep things up. And one of the things that was surprising to me is how many Christians, just in one particular topic, the Bible says, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness, Right? Uh, so what we're talking about, we're talking about lying. How many Christians lie? Why? Because we're still embracing the things of the world. Right? We've got to learn how to be like God. God is, let God be true and every man a liar. The Lord does not lie, He's faithful. It's true. So, what do we have to be? We have to be people that are truthful. We have to be people, well, I'll pay a price when I tell the truth. Yep, but I want to tell you something. You pay more of a price when you lie. Because if you think that you can embrace the enemy's ways and come out good, you're in trouble. How many people lie on their resume? And they get to a higher place at the top, and they go higher and higher. And how often have we seen people that they found, they lied on their resume, and they've already gotten to the top, and they don't say, oh, we'll just ignore that. No, they say, you're out. You will pay a price for it down the road. As Christians, we need to leave the things of the world behind. But it's hard to do. Of course it's hard to do. You've got to be not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be like Christ. Don't love the world or things in the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Third point we want to look at. Jesus touched his eyes repeatedly. What does that mean? Well, let's look at the text first. When he had spit on his eyes, how many of y'all would be willing to let Jesus spit on your eyes? <laughs> now, 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 but all this man knew, when people went to spit at him, that was not a good thing. And now they're leading him to Jesus, whether he knows who Jesus is or not, I'm not sure, but apparently he knew something, they couldn't, they wouldn't have brought him, but here go Jesus and going to make the same sound that people that were, because that, back then if you were unclean and people that were blind, they considered something to be wrong with them, uh, they would spit on him. And they thought it was, that was God's desire, uh, God's will, that if something was unclean, that they would treat them in a despicable way. So here Jesus goes, and he goes to spit on him. Well, I'm getting off, but let me go back. And he put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. That's kind of his way of saying, I don't see clearly, but I see something. You ever go to the uh, optometrist? And he said, do you see better now? Or do you see better now? I don't see better either way. <laughs> all right, let me. You see, it'd be like, well, I see something, but it looks like trees walking. Well, let me. Oh, that's an A. Okay, all right. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw everyone clearly. So Christianity is not a once-and-done proposition. That's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Christianity is a gradual process of healing and restoration that requires repeated touches by the master. That requires that we be in a position where he can continually touch us. It also requires that we be in a position where we allow him to touch us. We've got to submit to him, we've got to let him touch us, and sometimes we've got to let him work in our lives in a way that's uncomfortable for us. It's not comfortable to be shown things that need to change in, in our lives, it's comfortable for us to be shown things that our spouse needs to change or the people that we don't like need to change. I believe God is telling me that you need to change. Now, more often than not, that's your flesh. The one that God will show you what needs to change is you. I always say it this way. Now, I love you. Let's just be clear. I love you. We're not talking about anybody here. It's anybody that's watching online. This is for them. It's not for you all, all right? So let's... <laughs> Right. So, uh, you know, but here's, here's, I always say it this way, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, ducks like a duck, it is a duck. If you're here and you got problems with the people around you, you say, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. These people are all messed up. And you go somewhere else and you got problems with the people around you, you say, oh, these people are the same just like the other people. And you go somewhere else and say, I can't believe it. I keep getting to the same place where these people, they're all the same. Well, if you go to three different places and you're having the same problem in three different places, the only constant is you. Right? So who needs to change? The people! No. You. I, I, I Again, you will hear my stories over and over again. But when I first got saved, I was always a quiet, passive, very timid, shy guy. I had a lot of... Problems in the home, and it just was very shy. And so, anyway, I, I I was never very aggressive. I was never very uh, um, that I knew of. I didn't think I was angry at any of that. I was just really, just kind of there. And then when I got saved, I began to get angry. Everything made me mad. I was mad. I was angry. And one day I said, "Well, man, I'm a Christian now. Things aren't supposed to get worse. They're supposed to get better." And I decided to pray about it and say, God, this ain't right. I'm supposed to, things are supposed to get better. I was never angry before I got saved. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Rick, you've always been angry. You just hid it. You suppressed it. And see, you don't change until you realize you need to change. Right? And so when the Lord spoke to me, I had a choice. Nah, that ain't God. Or I had to say, you know what, I, I, I didn't realize it, but God, you know everything, so you must be right. And once you submit to that, and then you can submit to his touch, then he began to work and heal that in your life. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like he comes in and just takes your anger away from you. You recognize that you are having a problem with anger and then you have to say, why am I having a problem with anger? And the Lord leads you through a process of healing and a lot of times you got to get to the root, what causes this thing and the Lord wants to heal the root so that you can be free of that because what often happens is you get into situations that trigger things you don't even know you're aware of that happen earlier in life, right? And so the Lord wants to heal those things in your life. And it's, I'm just talking about anger right now, but there are other things as well. But all I'm trying to tell you is that, is that Christianity is a process, and it requires that we can continually and repeatedly submit to his teaching, to his touch, so that we can eventually reach a place where we're more whole than we were going in. Right? Right? Okay, so Matthew 8, 1 through 3, the Bible says, When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So leprosy is a type of sin. While we were cleansed of our sins and the penalty for those at the time we were saved, The cleansing of our minds, our thinking, and our subsequent behaviors is a lifelong process that we call sanctification. There's a twofold process to sanctification there's instantaneous sanctification, where the Lord positionally uh, 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 cleanses us from our sins and we are now in a position where we can stand before the Lord and the Holy Spirit can rest in the holy vessel because God cleansed that vessel. But then there's also what we call progressive sanctification where the behaviors that we have that are ingrained, how we live, those things have to be, it's a progressive cleaning up of our life. It doesn't happen right away. It takes time. But I want to tell you something about sanctification, the way sanctification works. It's a big name, but it's really not a hard word. It just means I become more like Jesus, right? But sanctification doesn't work without submission. You see, a lot of people get saved and they confess Jesus as Savior, but actually Romans 10, 9, and 10 doesn't say confess Jesus as Savior, it says confess Jesus as Lord. We don't understand what the word Lord is. The Lord is the owner of everything. And the reason in, in feudal days, the reason you had a place to live and a place to work is because the Lord of the manor, or the Lord of the land gave you a place to work, gave you land to work, gave you. A, so, so with that understanding in mind, God is good everything we have in life has been given to us by God. And God is our Savior, but He's more than our Savior. He is Lord. He is a sovereign. He is a king. He is worthy to be worshipped. And if you want to see things uh, that God has promised in His Word to take place in your life, the only way it works is when you submit to His Word. You have to bow down to him. See, a lot of people want Jesus as Savior, but He did not want him telling you what to do. Right? You know what they call that. Rebellion. (laughs) Right? Refusal to submit is rebellion. Right? So that's the flesh. I don't want to do that. I don't want to change that. Well, you don't have to. He's gracious. He's willing. He doesn't make you do anything. But if you want to see his promises come to fruition in your life, you have to voluntarily submit. You have to do things his way. See, all the promises of God are conditional. Whether we re- they're written this way or not, they're if-then. If you call on the name of the Lord, then you will be saved. Well, I want to be saved without calling on the name of the Lord. Well, it doesn't work that way. Now, some people will try to tell you that it doesn't matter whether you ever call on the name of the Lord, whether you hear about Jesus. It doesn't matter what religion you're a part of. It don't matter. You're going to be saved in the end. No. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me, right? By grace are you saved through faith. So you have to have faith. Jesus is not going to save you if you don't have an idea of who he is and put your faith and trust in him. It sounds good to say Jesus is going to save everybody, but it violates free will. And Jesus will never violate our free will. He doesn't do that. It's the most precious gift he gave us is free will. Right? So you have to know he is, and you you have to willingly submit to what he says to receive what he's offering. And it's the same thing with anything in life. You have to continually submit to his word. You have to say, well, his word says this. I don't necessarily want to do it. But if his word says it, I'm going to do it. And when you begin to apply his word to your life, that's when you'll see the promise come to manifest in your life. But in order to accept his word, you've got to submit to it, right? It's just the way it works. So leprosy is a type of sin all right. It, uh, um, our subsequent behaviors in life is a lifelong process, which we will call sanctification. I'm just getting myself back to where it was. It requires continual cleansing of the word. Hebrews 4:12 through 13. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's not just dealing with your behaviors; dealing with your heart. Because some sometimes on the outside, we can do the right thing, but on the inside, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. And God wants, there's a word called integrity. Well, that word integrity comes, is actually in math. You ever, you, ever, you, you ever heard the word integer? <laughs> when I heard the word integer, it's like, I don't know what that means. It just means a whole number. That's all it means. Well, why can't you just say whole number? Well, they just call it integer. Well, integer is a whole number. It's not a fraction. Right, What it means is the same. God wants you to be integrity. What does integrity mean? What you see on the outside is what you got on the inside. What's on the inside is what's on the outside. Right? It's the opposite of being a hypocrite. The word hypocrite is actually from a Greek word that means an actor. And what they used to do when they acted back then is they would put a mask. They would have a mask. They would hold it on their face. And they would, that, that mask that they were holding was the character that they were playing. And that's where we get the word hypocrite. What you see is not who, really who that is. God doesn't want you to be hypocritical. He wants you to be integrous. So you be integrous, you have to be the same on the inside and the outside, and the Spirit of God the, and the Word of God has a way of getting to the root. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again, Romans 12 and 2, I've, I've read this already. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not become conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now listen, if you've been saved for a little while, right, when I'm talking about, you know, you, you've been saved here recently. We have a couple of people that have been saved here recently. We have people that have been in the church for a long time that got saved a long time ago, but you're still in this position. You're always going to have people come into your life tell you what you need to do in order to serve God. Some people are going to want you to go to an extreme, stuff that's not in the Word of God. And some people are going to want you to go to a place where, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Oh, you don't have to stop drinking to be a Christian. Oh, you don't have to, you don't have to do this to be a Christian, Right? and they're going to get all sorts of advice whether it be on this side or whether it be on this side. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life. What we don't always realize is that on either side of this path to life there are ditches. And if the enemy can't keep you off the road, he wants to put you in the ditch. And one side of the ditch is, man, it's, you, you you become very legalistic, it's about works, it's about everything that you I mean it's 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 yeah, that's one side. The other side is I can do whatever I want and still be a Christian. But that's not how we live the life. How do we live the life? The word of God teaches you how to live the life. This must be your guide. And yet I'm gonna I'm gonna mention something that that you may not agree with me, but I, I've seen it, I, I tend to believe it's the truth. We have more access as a society to the Word of God than any other society throughout history because everybody can have access to a Bible, whether it's written or they have access with apps on their phone. But yet we're one of the most ignorant Christian cultures there ever has because when we have free access to it, we don't always avail ourselves of it. We don't read it. We don't digest it. We don't meditate upon it. We don't let it do in our life what God intended it for us to do. In order for it to make us prosper in life, we've got to submit to it. Psalms 1 and 1, uh, 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're going to get ungodly counsel. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law, the instruction of the Lord, the word of God. And in his law, instruction, word, does he meditate day and night? And if you will do that, and the word meditate doesn't mean to empty your mind. In biblical culture, it means to fill your mind. And what you're filling your mind with is this. So you don't empty your mind. You fill it. But when you fill it with this, it pushes out all the other stuff. Right? And then when you begin to do that, what's going to happen? And realize that the metaphors they're using is not an instantaneous thing. You don't plant a seed, and it grows into a tree overnight. But if you will spend your time in the Word and read the Word and and continue to meditate on on the Word and submit to the Word, submit to the Lord, listen to God, ye shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and you shall bring forth your fruit in its season, and your leaves shall not wither. And whatever you do, it shall prosper. Because the things that you do are going to be things that God is leading you into. You're not going to be alone. Am I making sense to you? Okay. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present to his, himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy. That's, that word holy is where we get the word sanctification from. That you would be holy, set apart is what it means, and without blemish. Fourth point, Jesus made him look up. Then Jesus put his hands on his eyes again and made him Look up. True healing and clear spiritual vision comes as we look upward, as we get our eyes on God and move in accordance with God's will for our lives. There are many things that seek to distract us from the Lord to get our eyes off Him. Faith is the ability to see Him in the midst of them. Second Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, trusting in God, trusting in what He says, trusting in His Word, not by sight. I quoted this a little while ago, Psalms 23. Uh, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as a sheep I can't see. I don't want to be there. I'm blind to the things around me. It's a valley. It's surrounded by cliffs. It's dark in there, right? But why am I going into it? Because he leads me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, I'm here because I trust you. And faith is is trusting God, trusting what he says, not what I see, not what people are telling me, but what God is telling me. You've got to learn how to trust God and what he says. Let God be true and everyone else a liar. This is true, will always be true. Your words are forever settled in the heavens, is what the Bible teaches us. Right? They're not going to change. God's Word doesn't change because culture wants it to change. God's Word doesn't change because we want it to change. God's Word will never change. Unfortunately, in our Christian society, you even have churches and, and denominations that are wanting to change the Word to accommodate the culture. But we're not supposed to change the word to accommodate the culture. We're supposed to proclaim the word so that the culture can change. Why would we want to accommodate a culture where we're fighting and bitterness and division and sickness and disease and, and, and we don't know who we are and we're, we, we're relegated to being worse than animals? Our behaviors and the way we live life. Bestiality, homosexuality. Uh, uh, we don't even know what gender we are. Uh, today I'm even one gender and tomorrow I might be another, depending on what I want to do. That's crazy. The Word of God says He created male and female. Right? Wow. You go back to the Word of God, and you know what? It just seems a lot easier when I do it God's way. I don't have to go through surgeries. I don't have to take medications. I don't have to do all this kind of stuff to try to figure out who I am. God tells me who I am. Well, I feel like this. Well, you know, there, I sometimes <laughs> I've had people tell me, have you ever gone on the bridge and hear a voice that says, drive off of it? Oh, I feel like driving off of it. Well, you know what you do? You say, no. I feel like taking when I go. I feel like stealing stuff. Well, the law says, No. And the guy behind the counter that's got a gun says, no. And so what do we do? We say, no. Well, I feel I'm a man, but I feel like I'm a woman. So you know what you say? No. No, I feel like it, so it must be. You are not the product of your feelings. You are the product of God's word. You were created in the image and the likeness of God. And we've got to learn how to say, no. Well, society teaches me this. Well, guess what? Society is not correct. The Word of God is correct. Base your life on what God says because He created life. This is a manual on how to live life and live it in a way that you can prosper. But you've got to look at it for what it is. So anyway... Um, <laughs> Went rabbit hunting again. All right. So Jesus himself taught us how to live this way. John 5 and 19, Jesus said, "Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever the father does, the son does. In Matthew 6, 8 through 10, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what are you doing? You're looking up? You're looking for what God has? Your kingdom come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's another scripture, I don't have it in there, I believe it's Matthew 16 and 19, it says, whatever you bind on earth has already, uh, actually some translation says uh, shall be bound in heaven. I like the translation that says this, I think it's a better translation. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, I find heaven's model heaven's standard, heaven's uh, 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 will, and then I accommodate myself on the earth to what heaven says is right and what heaven says is wrong. Right? So let's get to the last point. Jesus' healing of the man was complete. And the Bible says in verse 25, and, restored and saw everyone." he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Not only was this man's blindness healed, but his spiritual blindness as well. It says that he saw everything clearly. Jesus did not come just so that you might be physically healed. He wants us to be completely healed, spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, every dimension of your life. His work at Calvary paid for your complete restoration and his aim is to bring you into the fullness of what he paid for you and I to become. Psalms 103, verse 2 and 3, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you. that's that word, sanctify. Set you apart completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I won't spend a lot of time there because I'm running out of time. Last, uh, I think this is the last point. Jesus gives him an assignment. Verse 26, then he sent him away, the blind person who is now healed, he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in that town. In other words, don't go back where you came from. Right? you go to your house, and if his house was in the town, I imagine Jesus knew it wasn't, but if his house was in the town, it's like Jesus was saying, you get a new house. Right? Don't go into town, or tell anyone in the town. The word for sent here is the word apostello. The word apostle comes from this word. An apostle is a sent one. It's one who has been given an assignment. With Jesus' command, this man was now a sent one. We, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, are in some ways supposed to be apostolic in nature. We are supposed to be sent ones. You say, well, wait a minute. You're saying we're all apostles? I didn't say that. I said we're supposed to be apostolic in nature. We are supposed to have apostolic grace. How can you say that? Well, we're actually supposed to have grace on us as people that Jesus gives through us through vessels that are um, fountains of grace, but that grace is supposed to be imparted to each and every one of us. Ephesians 4 and 11 tells us what those fountains, what those gifts, we call them five-fold ministers, are. There's some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the saints. In other words, they're not supposed to be the superstars. They're not supposed to be the ones that everybody runs through. They're supposed to be equippers. And what are they supposed to equip you with? What they have. See, grace is the empowering presence of God. These people have grace. Apostles have apostolic grace. Prophets have prophetic grace. Evangelists have evangelistic grace. Pastors have pastoral grace, and teachers have teaching grace. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to equip you with grace. What kind of grace do they give away? Whatever grace they carry, right? so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. Gone is the model that says we have performers and everybody else are spectators. That's not biblical. Biblically is you have a coach who equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. I want to go to another church where I don't have to do anything. You're welcome to do that. Nobody's saying that you can't do that. All I'm saying is if you want to become all that God's called you to be, you've got to do it his way. Going to another church is not going to ensure that you're doing things his way. Remember what I said, when you read his word, you have to submit to his word. Well, I don't want to work. Your choice. You don't have to. But Jesus said you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for you to do. So for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and equipping the saints to build up the body of Christ. So who's supposed to be building up the body of Christ? The saints. How are they supposed to do it? With apostolic grace, evangelistic grace, prophetic grace, pastoral grace, teaching grace. Where are they going to get that? They're going to get that from the grace gifts. And they're going to impart that to his church. Why are they imparting that to his church? So that they can become what God envisioned them to be. So I said all that to say that we're all supposed to be apostolic in nature. What does the word apostolic mean? It means that we're sent. We're on a mission. We have an assignment. We have a purpose in life. In giving this man an assignment or a purpose, we also see that he counseled him not to go back to town. I believe the main reasons Christians lose their joy, peace, and even their salvation is twofold. First, it's because they don't live their lives on mission. Every one of us has a God-given purpose in life, and when we put that first in our lives, it gives our lives meaning and direction. Second, when they lose their focus on the assignment, they find themselves drawn back to the life from which they were delivered. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. How can you exhort one another daily if you're not in fellowship with one another and you're not going to be in fellowship with one another if you believe the lie that says you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Exhort one another daily. while it is called today? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. What does that mean? Until we either die and go be with the Lord or the Lord comes back, we hold a confidence steadfast. We continue on mission. We continue with a purpose. We are living for God. I'm leaving my old life and my life is I'm living for God. I've lived for the world and what did that get me? Nothing. It actually got me to church. No one goes to church unless they need something. <laughs> I used to be lost too. Well, I don't to go to church. The only reason I went to church is because a pretty girl invited me to go. Otherwise, I don't want to go to church. Why do you want to go to church? Why do you go to church? Because things aren't good. Maybe I can find an answer there. So you go to church and you get God. You say, Thank you God. I'll take this pill, but I want to go back. It's like a diabetic. Give me a pill so I can eat sugar. Give me a pill so I can do the same things that I'm doing, but not have ill effects. <laughs> I love the 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 people that and listen, I, I used to be pretty heavy, all right, but I, I, I'm not stupid, right. And so, one of the things that I see all all the time is that um, you know uh, advertisements will say, "Take this pill, and you'll drop over. You'll drop incredible amounts, and you don't have to change anything." But at the very bottom, in fine print, it says, "Pill must be taken in uh, 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 in partnership with a healthy diet and exercise." So, what is it? That causes you to lose weight. Is it the pill? No, it's the diet and the exercise. Right? Give me a pill so I don't have to diet and I don't have to exercise. It's not gonna work. Right? Even people that have, and listen, if you've been through this, no 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 problems. I mean, we're not in any way saying you did anything, we're not saying that. But even people that have surgeries on their stomach so that they can lose weight, many of them because they don't change their behaviors, find a way to increase their, their ability to eat again, and after a few years, they're actually the same size, if not bigger than what they were before they went and did the surgery. Give me a pill so I don't have to change how I live life. Listen, you have to change. Why don't we want to continue with doing the same things that we did before we got saved? That's what got us in the position that we were in. When you give your life to God, you say, I don't want that anymore. Don't go back and do the things that you used to do if you don't want to see the same results. What do they say? The definition of insanity is, again, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. It's like the person that's cutting a board in a construction project. He cuts it. I cut it twice, and it's still too short. <laughs> All right, got to wrap this up. So, in conclusion, the restoration of the blind man was a process that ended his ability to see and hear clearly. Or, uh, he, that ended in his ability to see and hear clearly. Our healing and restoration is also a process that will lead us towards wholeness as we press forward into him and the mission that he gives us, uh, that he gives each and every one of us. My counsel to you is don't give up. I, uh, we had a guy here uh, um, and he'll be back here after a few months, but he was here, and he was, uh, uh, his name is A.J., and A.J. was young. He was 18, and listen, he wanted to grow in the things of God. He wanted to, to work for God, and so we, were, we, we would sit him in the office, and A.J. just would do some, just like all of us, boneheaded things. And we call them in the office and hate coming to the office. Hate coming to the office. Man, I feel like I'm going to the principal's office. And we would sit in there and, and we would, listen, if you're going to do some stuff and you don't show up, you're going to get called to the carpet. In BASF, you're going to get fired. But in the church, we're going to make sure that we teach you. One of the things we're trying to teach you, particularly if you're going to the ministry, is not how to be a better minister. We want to teach you how to be better at life. Right? So these are things I had to teach him. And when he was in the office, you know, he'd be like upset and all this kind of stuff. And I said, listen, whatever you do, I want you to know we love you. And we want what's best for you. And we're going to be hard on you because we want you to succeed. The only counsel that I will give you is don't quit. And listen, if I can give you one counsel tonight is don't quit. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have difficulties. The enemy is going to try to hinder you. All these things are going to come your way. Sometimes when you get saved, things it seems like things get worse before they get better. Don't quit. Keep on keeping on. Read his word. Keep being faithful to church. Keep doing the things that you know to do. Eventually, you're going to see a harvest. And it's going to be a better harvest than what you used to have because you're planting better seed. Right? Don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. Right? Keep on keeping on. Title.